Hey there, MLB Morning Coffee listeners. Love the show? Well, now we are open to advertising opportunities. Get your name and your brand on our show daily. Email greg.maraz, that's G-R-E-G dot M-R-O-Z at yahoo.com to learn how you can be a part of this program. Advertising opportunities now available here on MLB Morning Coffee. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. It has been a while, fans, but we are back here on MLB Morning Coffee, a production of the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Greg Mraz, your host as always. Write a review, leave a rating, and subscribe. Helps out our metrics tremendously. Also, make sure that you tell your friends about the show. I said we were not going to be very frequent in our recordings, so we're just going to try and wrap up a bunch of news items in one fell swoop. The awards are going to be at the end of this episode because we now have all of our awards in. We will go by the order in which the awards were released. So we'll start with Gold Gloves, then Rookies of the Year, Manager of the Year, Cy Youngs, and then the MVPs. But let's get to a couple of headlines, and we got to start first with a story that really made news about a week ago, but I've been a little bit lazy and haven't recorded anything, and that is Justin Turner and the MLB investigation. This story is pretty much a nothing burger. MLB came out with their results of their investigation, and they're not going to punish Justin Turner. They're reprimanding him, but no punishment for Turner. Turner came out and apologized, said that he was focused on celebrating with his teammates, didn't mean to act reckless, blah, blah, blah. It's pretty much your typical PR safe face apology. I don't buy it. I don't really think you should buy it either, but nothing's going to happen to Justin Turner, which is unfortunate because actions should have consequences. But why does this surprise anybody that follows Major League Baseball? MLB, for some reason, never follows through on being able to actually punish people that commit transgressions. We seemingly know that based on what happened in the steroid era under Bud Selig and with the Astros and the sign-stealing scandal under Rob Manfred. So once again, this is just another example of Rob Manfred not punishing players enough. But that's neither here nor there. Let's talk about one of the results of the sign-stealing scandal, and that was Alex Cora, because Alex Cora is back in the news. So the Red Sox rehired Alex Cora after firing him prior to the 2020 season because he was suspended for that season. There were a lot of people that believed that Alex Cora was going to get rehired once his suspension was over because they like him in Boston. The Red Sox had apparently interviewed former Major League outfielder Sam Fold for the position. Fold has apparently turned down multiple Major League Baseball managerial openings but the Red Sox decided they were going to go with Cora. Cora basically said that he's appreciative of John Henry, Heim Bloom, and the Red Sox front office for giving him a second chance, and he knows that this is it for him in baseball, that he can't mess up again. He knows that he's on his last strike and that he has to keep everything clean. Whether or not you can say that Alex Cora is truly sorry for what happened in Houston and in Boston, that's up to your interpretation. But it at least is clear that he knows that he's on thin ice and that he can't screw up again. That I can at least take at face value from Alex Cora. 
And look, the Red Sox are not going to be in position to compete going forward. We pretty much know that right now because they traded away Mookie Betts, their starting rotation is a shell of what it once was, and they owe a lot of money to an unproductive J.D. Martinez at this point. So the Red Sox, it's going to take them a little while before they're competitive again, but they have the guy that they want to moving forward as their manager, and I think that that's important, and I think it's important for everybody to know that Alex Cora understands what he did and that if he is going to continue to work in baseball, it cannot happen again. The Wilpon family finalized the sale of the Mets to Steve Cohen earlier this week, and Cohen had an introductory press conference in regards to his vision for the New York Mets. The guy's going to spend money, and he wants to win. He wants to make sure that the team that he now owns becomes a powerhouse in the National League. This is a guy that's a multi-billionaire and isn't afraid to spend money. He's a hedge fund manager for .72, which I think is some ventures company. I'm not exactly sure what it does. But Steve Cohen is filthy rich, and he is going to spend his money on the New York Mets. However, the first day that he was the owner, they cleaned house. They fired GM Brody Van Wagenen and assistant GM Omar Minaya. Now, these are two guys that were hired by the previous regime. Sandy Alderson is still in place as the president of baseball operations, I believe. So the Mets are going to rebuild their front office. They fired a lot of people because Cohen wants to hire his people, and he wants to hire people that he knows are going to be able to execute his vision. Who exactly those people are, I don't know. I think it was a bit of a quick trigger move to get rid of the GM who was just hired two seasons ago. But if you want to make an impact right away, you make moves like this right away. So I guess it wasn't that much of a surprise. Also worth noting that Marcus Stroman, who was one of the six free agents who was given the qualifying offer, accepted the qualifying offer from the Mets two days ago. The Tony La Russa situation in Chicago just gets worse. And I know that we're coming out with this podcast on a Friday, so you're probably saying, well, why are you so late to the party? Well, I kind of was looking at this story and seeing, all right, is it going to get worse? Is it going to get worse? And it has gotten worse day by day. So let's fast forward or rewind, I should say, to a couple of days ago. It's revealed that Tony La Russa had a DUI arrest in Arizona in February when he was working for the LA Angels. The arresting officer and the court documents were filed to the wrong jurisdiction. So the charges did not hit the books in Maricopa County, Arizona until October 28th. And guess when Tony La Russa was hired by the White Sox? October 29th. So the White Sox knew about his DUI arrest. By the way, the second in his career. He was arrested back in 2007 for falling asleep at a traffic light in Jupiter, Florida, where the Cardinal Spring Training Complex is located. So the White Sox knew about this. It was leaked that they knew about this prior to hiring him. At least that's what we found out in the story written by Jeff Passan of ESPN. When reached for comment on the story, Tony La Russa said, I have nothing to say, and he hung up the phone. Then we get some of the quotes from what actually happened during the arrest. And he apparently said to the officer, do you know who I am? I'm a, and I'm not messing this up. This is actually what he said. Do you know who I am? I'm a Hall of Famer baseball person. I'm legit, brother. Before that, he said, do you see my ring? Okay, let's just say that 
you have a situation like this in your lifetime, and I hope that you don't because you should never drive drunk, don't use the do you know who I am argument. It never works. The do you know who I am argument is going to fail more often than it does not. So White Sox fans are furious. Chicago media is furious. And then the White Sox come out with yesterday that they're not going to comment on it until the Larusa investigation is finished by the Maricopa County DA's office. Now, it is worth noting that Larusa's first DUI was in Florida. This DUI was in Arizona. The statute of limitations has expired on second DUI charge in a certain period of time, so Larusa's penalty is going to be minimal compared to what it could have been if the DUIs had been within a 10-year period, and they were not. If both DUIs, by the way, had occurred in Arizona, Tony LaRusso could be going to prison for up to 10 years. Just put that in perspective. Up to 10 years. The White Sox knew about this and hired him anyway. Why? Because he's Jerry Reinsdorf's buddy. And the White Sox basically don't care. Okay, not the White Sox. Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't care. Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't care what you think. Jerry Reinsdorf wants to insult your intelligence by hiring a guy that has multiple DUIs and it's his buddy. Because, hey, guess what? Maybe Tony LaRusso was like, hey, can you hire me to do something because this is going to come out and the Angels are going to fire my ass. No, that's not exactly how it works, people. Let's just get it straight here. The White Sox are participating in the most egregious form of cronyism that I've seen in professional sports in quite some time. They should be held to account, their feet held to the fire, and people are going to continue to ask the questions as to why you made this hire. Simply put, it is ridiculous for the White Sox to say that this was the best guy to help us win championships. No, this was the guy that the owner wanted because he was his buddy. Bruce Bochy has more World Series titles than Tony La Russa. Okay, that's not true. He has just as many World Series titles as Tony La Russa. A.J. Hinch won a World Series title in 2017. Alex Cora was out there as well. You could have rehired Ozzie Guillen if you really wanted to participate in cronyism. But no, Jerry Reinsdorf wanted to hire his buddy because he wanted to right a wrong from 30 years ago. It's ridiculous. And you know what? Shame on the White Sox and shame on Jerry Reinsdorf for participating in this. And shame on you for still hiring the guy after it was revealed he got a second DUI. Like, come on. This is beyond ridiculous. Most managers would have been fired by now, let alone rehired the day after their second DUI charge hits the books. You know, Tony La Russa said that he took full responsibility for his DUI in 2007 and said he has to be held to a high standard and it would never happen again. Well, guess what, Tony? When you came out in your press conference a day after the charge hit the books, you said that you'll be the judge of whether or not a player's protest or a player's celebration is sincere. You have absolutely no right to judge anybody's sincerity. This is coming from the guy that said that a DUI arrest would never happen again. Well, guess what, Tony? It happened, and you are no judge of anybody's sincerity because we can't even hold you to that standard. White Sox fans all over, many of them which I know, are dropping their season tickets and good because you should not support an organization that willingly hires a guy that just had his second DUI because he's the owner's buddy. 
Jerry Reinsdorf isn't going to sell the team. He doesn't care what the fans think. He doesn't care what the players think. He doesn't care what the media thinks. He doesn't care what anybody thinks because he wants to do a favor for his buddies. So you know what? The White Sox deserve what's coming to them. I will root for the White Sox more often than not, but you just about lost my fandom here. Adios, Chicago White Sox. In a very interesting turn of events, former Astros GM Jeff Luno is suing his former employer for up to $22 million after alleging his firing was through a negotiated resolution between Rob Manfred and Astros owner Jim Crane that allowed the Astros to keep their 2017 World Series title. Luna's attorneys wrote in the filing, this is from ESPN, that the agreement between Crane and Manfred scapegoated Luno for a sign-stealing scandal that he had no knowledge of and played no part in. The lawsuit was filed in Harris County District Court. According to the filing, Luno was still owed $22 million in guaranteed compensation at the time of his firing from a contract signed on May 24, 2018 that was scheduled to pay him more than $31 million in guaranteed compensation, performance bonuses, profits, interest, and other benefits. So basically, Luno is saying that it's Luno. Luno. It's Luno. Yeah, it's Luno. I People mess his name up all the time. But basically, Jeff Luno is saying that he got fired because Jim Crane negotiated a deal with Rob Manfred to say, we get to keep the trophy if you ban Luno and A.J. Hinch. If you punish them, then we get to keep our trophy. As surprising as this sounds, that is not outside the realm of possibility given what we know about Rob Manfred. I would not be surprised to see him do that. But at the same time, what proof does Luno have that that actually happened? Unless there's something that is written down, unless there is any written agreement between Manfred and Jim Crane, we have absolutely no proof that what Luno is claiming actually happened. Would I be surprised if it was true? No, because this is just the type of thing that Rob Manfred would do. But at the same time, if there's no proof, then there's absolutely no reason to believe that Luno has any standing in this lawsuit. I say it's dead on arrival, but it'll be intriguing to see where this actually ends up going. And finally, before we get into the awards, there were six qualifying offers that were extended. We told you about them, and only two were accepted. That would be the Giants' Kevin Gaussman and the Mets' Marcus Stroman. $18.9 million on one-year contracts for guys that more than likely were not going to get an annual salary of that if they hit the open market. So, smart idea by both of them. I am sure that the Mets are fine with paying Marcus Stroman that money. The Giants, however, I don't know what the reasoning was for them giving Kevin Gaussman $18.9 million, but they did it, and now they're going to live with it. Trevor Bauer, DJ LeMahieu, JT Real Muto, and George Springer all rejected their qualifying offers, assuming that they could get more money on the open market. Now, I have one theory as to why players would accept it. It's basically a earn your contract for next year type of deal. You perform well, and you end up getting a multi-year deal somewhere else, or a multi-year deal with the team you're already with. But I think that for both of these two players, they weren't going to get a higher annual salary if they went anywhere else, so I think it is very smart that both of them took the qualifying offer. Now, let's go into recapping the awards. 
So back when we did our awards episode, we predicted it was going to be Kyle Lewis from the American League and Devin Williams from the National League. And guess what? We got it correct. Kyle Lewis, the American League Rookie of the Year, and Devin Williams, the National League Rookie of the Year. Kyle Lewis was the unanimous choice for AL Rookie of the Year. He received all 30 first-place votes. Luis Robert of the White Sox received 27 of 30 second-place votes. The other second-place votes went to Sean Murphy of the A's, Willie Castro of the Tigers, and Jared Walsh of the Angels. 11 of the 30 third-place votes went to Christian Javier of the Houston Astros. So Kyle Lewis is the 12th player to win AL Rookie of the Year by a unanimous vote and the first time that a unanimous vote has been decided for a Mariner winning AL Rookie of the Year. It's the fourth time a Seattle player has been honored. The other times were Ichiro in 2001, Kazuhiro Sasaki in 2000, and Alvin Davis in 1984. But if you want to look at it in terms of their first year of pro ball, Alvin Davis is the one true Rookie of the Year because Kazuhiro Sasaki and Ichiro Suzuki both played in Japan for many years prior to coming to the United States. Devin Williams, he gave up one earned run the entire year, and so he wins the National League Rookie of the Year. It was not unanimous, though. He won 14 of the 30 first-place votes. He had six second-place votes, seven third-place votes. Alec Bohm and Jake Cronenworth both had 74 total points, but Bohm wins the tiebreaker for second place by virtue of his nine first-place votes. Cronenworth had six Williams is the third Brewer to win Rookie of the Year. The others were Ryan Braun in 2007 and Pat Listach in the American League in 1992. The Brewers did not have a Rookie of the Year winner in their first 20 years as a franchise, nor did they have a Rookie of the Year during their time as the Milwaukee Braves. And one cool thing to note, it is the Jackie Robinson Rookie of the Year award in both the American League and the National League. And both players that won are African-American. So I thought that was pretty darn cool that two African-American players end up winning for an award named after Jackie Robinson. In the Manager of the Year race, we predicted one of the two correctly. In the National League, we got it right with Don Mattingly, who wins his first Manager of the Year award. He received 20 of the 30 first place votes. Jace Tingler of the Padres received six of the other 10 outstanding first-place votes. The other ones include David Ross, Brian Snitker, Dave Roberts, and Craig Council. Don Mattingly is the third Marlins manager to win Manager of the Year. The others were Jack McKeon in 2003, the year that he won the World Series with the Marlins, and Joe Girardi in 2006. He was subsequently fired despite winning the Manager of the Year award. So good for Donnie Baseball. He is also the fifth former winner of the MVP award to be honored later as the manager of the year. He was the American League MVP in 1985 with the Yankees. The others to do so, Frank Robinson, who was the NL MVP in 1961 and the AL MVP with the Orioles in 1966. He was the AL manager of the year with the Orioles in 1989. Don Baylor won the AL MVP with the Angels in 1979 and the NL manager of the year with the Rockies in 1995. Joe Torre won the NL MVP with the Cardinals in 1971 the AL Manager of the Year with the Yankees in 1996. And Kirk Gibson won the NL MVP in 1988, and he won the NL Manager of the Year in 2011 with the Arizona Diamondbacks. The American League we did not get correct. I thought it was going to be Charlie Montoyo of the Blue Jays, 
Montoyo ends up finishing third. Kevin Cash of the Rays wins his award as he goes 22 out of 30 first place votes. Rick Renneria of the White Sox has five of the outstanding eight. Charlie Montoyo had two, and Bob Melvin of the A's had one. Look, it's hard to argue with Kevin Cash and what the Rays did this year. I just always believe that if you overperform relative to your expectations, that gives you more legitimacy as the manager of the year. Kevin Cash, you can say that the Rays performed at expectations or above expectations, but their expectations were already pretty high. I predicted that the Rays were going to get to the World Series before the season even began. So I can't say that I'm wrong in that the Rays were the best team in baseball and that the manager of the best team in baseball, or the best team in the American League, I should say, should end up winning the AL Manager of the Year. Rick Renneria, look, the White Sox were a good surprise this past year, but it's really hard to give an AL Manager of the Year to a team that got bounced in the first round because of bad bullpen decisions and then having that manager subsequently fired. So Rick Renneria gets second place, I think a well-deserved second place. Charlie Montoyo, I think the obvious third-place choice. Others receiving votes besides Bob Melvin included Rocco Baldelli of the Twins and Dusty Baker of the Astros. We had another unanimous vote. This one was pretty easy. The American League Cy Young Award went to Shane Bieber, of the Cleveland Indians. He received all 30 first place votes. It's the 10th time an AL pitcher has been a unanimous choice for the award. Three pitchers were unanimous selections twice. Johan Santana with the Twins in 04 and 06, Pedro Martinez with the Red Sox in 99 and 2000, and Roger Clemens with the Red Sox in 86 and the Blue Jays in 98. The other unanimous AL winners were the Tigers' Denny McLean in 1968, the Yankees' Ron Guidry in 1978, and the Tigers' Justin Verlander in 2011. It's the sixth time an Indians pitcher has won, and by the way, it is the third time in the last decade. Corey Kluber won in 2014 and 2017, Cliff Lee in 08, CeCe Sabathia in 2007, Gaylord Perry in 1972. I would have to do further research on this, but I believe that in the last 20 years, no franchise has more Cy Young Award winners than the Cleveland Indians, at least in terms of the amount of awards and the amount of pitchers to win that award. Kenta Maeda received 18 of the 30 second-place votes. Hinjin Ryu received four of them. Garrett Cole, two. Dallas Keuchel received five, but he received a lot fewer third- and fourth-place votes, so he ends up further down on the list. Lance Lynn received one second-place vote. In the National League, it was a tough choice between Trevor Bauer and Hugh Darvish, but Bauer ends up winning 27 of the 30 first-place votes. He gets his first Cy Young Award. It's the second time that Hugh Darvish has finished runner-up for the Cy Young. He was the runner-up in 2013 in the American League when he finished second to Max Scherzer. Bauer had a great year, 27 first-place votes, three second-place votes. Hugh Darvish received three first-place votes, 24 second-place votes. Nobody else received a first-place vote. The only other player to receive any second-place votes was Jacob deGrom of the Mets. He received three. By the way, Trevor Bauer received only first- or second-place votes. He did not receive anything below second place, so a very good performance by Trevor Bauer. And by the way, Bauer and Shane Bieber were teammates in 2019 with the Cleveland Indians. So two former teammates winning the Cy Young Award in the same year. This, by the way, is the first time in franchise history 
that the Reds have had a Cy Young Award winner, which is something I found very hard to believe, but that is the case. All right, on to the MVPs. The National League MVP goes to Freddie Freeman, as we predicted. He receives 28 of 30 first-place votes. By the way, one of the two that did not vote for him for first place, you know his name, Bob Nightingale. Yes, that's right. Bob Nightingale voted for Mookie Betts instead of Freddie Freeman, making him one of two that did. Freeman receives 28 of 30 first-place votes. Mookie Betts finishes second. He had 21 second-place votes. He's the first Brave to win the MVP since Chipper Jones did it in 1999. Freeman was just awesome this year. He had a blistering 460 on-base percentage. He hit over 330. He had a great year, so there is nothing to be ashamed of for anybody else that received votes, but Freddie Freeman had an awesome year, and I'm actually surprised that his teammate Marcelo Zuna ended up finishing sixth, Manny Machado finished third, Fernando Tatis finished fourth, Juan Soto finished fifth. In the American League, Jose Abreu wins the American League MVP his first MVP, the first White Sox player to win the MVP since Frank Thomas did it in 1994. It's the fifth time a White Sox player has been honored with the award. The others were Dick Allen, who won it in 1972, Nellie Fox in 1959, and Frank Thomas won it in back-to-back years in 93 and 94. By the way, it is also the first time that a Cuban-born player has won the MVP since Jose Canseco did it in 1988. The only other player to win the MVP being Cuban-born, Zoilo Versailles, who did it in 1965. I'm not sure if I got that name correctly. So congrats to Jose Abreu, who received 21 of 30 first-place votes. Jose Ramirez finished second. He had eight of the other outstanding nine first-place votes. He had 17 second-place votes. DJ LeMayhew got the one other first place vote, which I think is very interesting because I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why DJ LeMayhew got a first place vote. But by the way, worth noting that Shane Bieber, who won the American League Cy Young, ends up receiving four third place votes. And one thing that I do want to point out, which I think is absolutely hilarious if you're a Dodger fan, and this is just how much depth the Dodgers have, the second and third-place vote-getters in the American League Cy Young were both on the Dodgers in 2019, Kenta Maeda and Hinjin Ryu. So the Dodgers didn't have anybody in the top three in terms of the NL Cy Young, but they have two guys that were on the team the year prior that are top three in the American League Cy Young. Just goes to show you how much depth the Dodgers have. I was going to wrap this up, but we had some breaking news this morning. Kim Ng, who has worked in Major League Baseball's business operations department for years, has just been hired by the Miami Marlins as their general manager. She is the first ever woman general manager in the history of Major League Baseball. So congrats to Kim Ng, who a lot of people said was going to be named the first female GM in baseball. A lot of people thought that she was going to end up with Farhan Zaidi in San Francisco. That is not the case. She goes to Miami where she works under Derek Jeter. That's it for this edition of MLB Morning Coffee. If we have more news, we will bring it to you next week. Have a great weekend, everybody, and we'll catch you another morning.